This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass. Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open. Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Cover 2 podcast. I'm Don Banks, joined by my co-host Nick Stevens. This is the final four edition of the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. The championship weekend edition. A championship caliber podcast awaits you, and you probably can hear the smile on my face. It's a wonderful day of football, and, uh, well, the Patriots. And it was an awesome uh, divisional. Uh, playoffs? Playoffs? That's Jim Moore. That was a great weekend It was a great divisional uh, round. Yeah, three of the four games were compelling as all get out. Uh, and then the Patriots won in a blowout, which makes Nick happy. Um, makes a lot of people happy. But I, I will say this. You know, a lot of people are kind of down on these matchups. You've got two number ones uh, make it. A number – no, th- wait a minute. I'm, I'm all you confused. two number one seeds. It's one versus two in the NFC, and it's one versus three. In the AFC. This is about as good uh, of two matchups as we could possibly expect out of this season. One versus two doesn't happen too frequently. Although it happened last year. Yeah, well, that's why I said too frequently. Atlanta. Atlanta, because Dallas lost last year. Atlanta was a one versus two. Um, who'd they play last year? No, actually, no, actually, last year, that was uh, the one seed last year was the Cowboys, and they were knocked out that's by what I the said, Packers. They, yeah. they lost. Lost, right. So. Um, it doesn't. You don't get that one. Oh, I was often. thinking of the Super Bowl was a one versus two. Sorry. Yeah, which yep. is great. Yep. Uh, I I can't see why people aren't happy about this. This is the first time since 1970 that you've got the final four. They are four of the five top scoring defenses in the NFL. Now I know defense doesn't necessarily fill seats, touchdowns and quarterbacks and offensive stats usually do, but that means you're going to get probably the best fundamental football that you could ask for this weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, three out of the four teams have never won a ring, never won a Super Bowl ring, I should say. Um, quirky little stat. The Eagles, it's been 57 years since the 1960 Eagles were the NFL champions. Meanwhile, the Vikings have been in existence 57 years uh, looking for that first Super Bowl. So you, you're going to have a fan base that has been tortured, at least getting to the Getting to the bowl, either Eagles fans long tortured uh, in that NFC East with everybody else, the Cowboys, the Redskins, and the Giants having multiple rings, them none, or the Vikings who really, and I was part of that on the beat for four years. They are really a cursed franchise in the playoffs, but holy Stephon Diggs, uh, that changed in an instant. But I should I should tease our guests later. Uh, in on the Cover 2 podcast, we're going to have Tony Baselli. He was with us in early November. He is the absolute perfect voice uh, of the Jaguars this week to have back the color analyst on the Jacksonville Jaguars radio network. He also does Thursday Night Football for Westwood One, but obviously played with the Jaguars as their standout left tackle from 95 to 01 and also played in that uh, 96 AFC title game right here in Foxborough. Uh, yes, he did. A memorable one, as it was. Uh, Patriots won that one 20-6. A James yep. Stewart fumble into the hands of Otis Smith. Otis, my man Smith. That's what I thought. Yeah. Ran it back 50 yards for the touchdown. I don't want to necessarily give away the show before the show plays out, but uh, wouldn't be surprised if we see a similar struggle this Sunday. Yeah, I think that's uh, – I first of all, I, off the top, I think Jacksonville has a really a really decent shot to come in here and give New England all they want. Not going to pick them. But I'm of the mindset that this team should throw the fear of God into New England because this is a tough matchup. If they can run the ball, if Fournette, and that to me, right off the bat, that's a big key. If Fournette can look like he did in Pittsburgh rather than what he looked like against Buffalo, I think they have a heck of a shot to stay in the game. Yeah, Uh, we'll save our full breakdown for uh, later on in the podcast, but uh, I feel you 100%. Think about this, Don. 
So we're talking about the fact that this makes the seventh seventh NFC championship that the Eagles are appearing in. Yes. This is, what is it, the fifth for the Vikings? Fifth overall, I think? Uh, no, no, no. They, uh, they've they actually lost, oh, maybe title games. They've lost five playoff games. No, they've lost five NFC title games in a row. They were 4-0 as a franchise starting you know, way back. Right. And then they've lost their last five NFC title games. Gotcha. Okay, so they've lost five in a row, but they've appeared in more. And now Nine. this is, this is uh, Jacksonville's second Third. AFC champ- third AFC champion? Yeah, they were 99, lost to the Titans, and they lost in oh, 96. That, that's the forgotten. That's the one. Yeah. Everybody just remembers the 96 championship against the Patriots. Yeah. Everyone forgets that they pulled off the upset against Denver in 99 and then went and lost to the Titans. Right. So this is their third, and this is the 12th for Brady and Belichick, 14th overall for the Patriots. A full Grogan for the Patriots at this point now. Two touchdowns and extra points, <laughs> and seven in a row. Seven in a row is... Where do you mo- think that stands as, in terms of football It's remarkable. We, the next longest was Oakland uh, with five in a row from 73 to 77. Um, you know, if you want to go way, way back, the Cleveland Browns, I think, won something like six titles in a row when they first joined the league. But it is a remarkable thing. To me, more remarkable, Nick, is if you take, obviously, 2000 out of the equation because they didn't go and Brady didn't play, and then you take 08 because Brady was hurt... In those 16 years, they went 12 times. So think about that. This is a team that's made the Final Four in the league three-fourths of the eligible times, 12 out of 16 years in the AFC title game. It's mind-blowing. I don't know why CBS ever leaves Foxborough. It's just set up. We, We were walking in through the tunnels, the bowels of Gillette Stadium, and last week... It was the first time I ever saw the massive CBS production truck just backed up yep. to one of those exits by the end zone. And after they won Saturday night, I I remembered back to seeing the truck and thought, I wonder if CBS is just going to like Stay. leave everything. Or maybe like Nance and Romo are just going to go about town and enjoy the mall in Foxborough and then maybe go to Capitol Grill and Union Oyster House in Boston. Faneuil Hall. And next thing you know, you walk by, there's the truck. Yep. They just left everything. Well, why, yeah, why They're all we... rooting for the Patriots secretly because it just made an easy week for them. Well, security just... blanket, in other words. Yeah, I said that. Thank you, Tony. Uh, we'll have some words on Mr. Romo later. Thank you, Tony. Um, I don't think he had. I don't think he did his best work this week. So it was it was a great NFL Sunday because I don't know where where were you watching uh, the miracle in Minnesota uh, from my little getaway house on Cape Cod. Very cool. Yeah, I was uh, I was disappointed following the surprise of the Jaguars Pittsburgh game. Secretly, every football fan then goes into like survival starvation mode. Like, oh no, I only have four football games left. Right. Please be a good one. Come on, this is a great matchup. Please be a good one. And then it's 17 zip and nothing much is happening. We punted. We went out to get a bite to eat and grab a beverage at a, a favorite local and watch, and all of a sudden. Rookie mistake. Yeah. And then, but I had the TV on. I was all right. one eye on the kids with the other eye on the TV, like a pro dad, pro move. And then the Saints caught up, and I was like, hon, we got to we gotta wrap this up. I yeah. got to go home. I don't want to miss this. Got to go back. Yeah, I got to go back. Well, I mean, I was, I'm trying to write snap judgments for the weekend, and I'm keeping an eye, obviously, on both. Both games and the first game was just amazing. I mean, I I feel like that game just ran out of time, or it would have been it would have been even crazier. But when the I could tell with like when the Saints first scored, having been on the Vikings beat, there is a a feeling of dread that comes over uh, that fan base. Like, uh oh, what's going to happen? How are they going to take this away from us? When the Saints started their comeback. With like two minutes to go in the third quarter, you could just feel the 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 large arrow of momentum change in that building. Later on, we're going to uh, share AFC and NFC championship memories and sort of rank our favorites. And uh, spoiler alert, Minnesota Vikings fans uh, <laughs> might make you, mine. you guys might make a couple of them, and might, for the wrong might, reasons, might make one of mine. But I understand now why there is such a waiting for the shoe to drop, uh, feeling of dread. Like, when you say tortured fan base, sometimes I think that's... Overstated. Wildly overstated right. for certain fan bases. Like, you can't even say that the Browns are a tortured fan base because they've known no opposite. So torture is like their happiness. Well, unless you go to the old Browns. The old uh, Browns right. did know All right. torture. All right, we need to... It, like, three, we, we three, need to involve the invention of like penicillin and typewriters. Three here, AFC huh? title game losses in a span of four years. When they played football and there was no electricity. When they played by gaslight. 87, 88. That's true. Yeah, in and, that era. And, and 86. Spoiler alert, Browns, you may make some but, of our AFC memories. But yeah, but the Vikings fans, I mean. I get it. Five straight conference title losses. 
And so, so many near misses. And then you add in the 0-4, the indignity of the 0-4 in the Super Bowl, matched mm. only by the Buffalo Bills. Mm. But so I'm watching that game, and I'm thinking, you know, this is an epic choke by this Vikings defense, this this supposedly dominant defense, giving up a 17-point lead basically in the fourth quarter of a home playoff game, and you're going to go one and done. So when you got your shutdown corner, you yeah. got one of the five highest rated cornerbacks in football. When you've got that pass rush, you should just at this point now be, you know, steamrolling. You should absolutely just put the hammer down, choke them out, and then on to the conference championship. And instead, Breeze starts. They get started getting. They started making some smart moves. I, I think that Willie Sneed pass that was maybe Sean Payton. The fourth kinda, and ten, yeah, kind of going for going. Oh, for it. oh, the that was the third down play. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, thought meant, uh, I thought you meant. I thought you meant the Willie Sneed com- completion oh, no, he, that he caught on fourth. Ooh, and that 10. was a great pass. That was clutch. That was a clutch. But pass. yeah, that was too cute. Um, yeah, they got a little cute there, uh, but they started getting the ball. Breeze was hitting Michael Thomas in space. He was really using his size to his advantage. They started getting Kamara open with some room to run, which, which that, that's what you got to do with him is just get him in space because right. what a playmaker the kid is. Uh and the fact that we – but the, how about the trading of the field goals? And Forbath that, hits the biggest field goal of his life. And that's the thing. Then Lutz hits one. How does Lutz get in space? Because Forbath and every Vikings fan knows the field goal misery. Blair Walsh, Gary Anderson. Oh, so he everybody, drilled it. Everybody's expecting that kid. Then they make him wait for like five minutes before he kicks it. Then he nails it. But I'm, I'm saying it when he hit it, I'm thinking too soon, mm-hmm. too much time. It's sure enough. Sure enough. But then the Saints did the same thing. They could have – they could have taken the uh, clock down. I think they uh, – did they throw on third and one? Anyway, they didn't use the clock. They left 25 seconds. Then they compound it by they don't dribble kick. They kick into the end zone and let them get the ball to 25 and mm-hmm. take no time off the clock. So I thought mistakes were made by both sides. But how about Sean Payton caught kind of making fun of the Skull Viking chant and doing the uh, hands over the head. That's two busts this year. Yeah, he got Sean the Payton. choke sign. Choke against the Falcons and now yeah. making fun of the Skull Vikings. That's, you know, and that's unforgivable because you know 25 seconds things can still happen in this league. Now, granted, nobody could have dreamed what happened, but things can happen. They could have hit the pass for a field goal, you know, and, and get out of bounds. Honest reaction. When you first see Diggs catch the ball, aren't you thinking, get out of bounds? Because I'm screaming, yeah. get out of bounds. Get out of bounds. I thought, I thought the kid charging in, who had already made an interception. Marcus Williams. Good rookie season. Great rookie season. Lots of promise in this kid. Part of the resurgence, the turnaround defensively for New Orleans. I thought he was going to just basically sweep him out from under. He, he was, he was trying to. I think that's what to. he was thinking yeah, he was going to do. I, mean, I can't even begin to tell you. Like When you watch the Malcolm Butler play, you you go back and you watch Do Your Job on NFL Network, and you see they practice that exact same play so that if and when they saw it, they knew what to do. So everything that happened there had happened before. That was the full Foxborough flat circle of time. But this play, you needed 10 of the craziest things to happen all at once. I'm sure Nate Silver would look at this play and say in 538, had, like, no, I'm not, no, even gonna, I'm not going to run the algorithm. It had a 3.4% probability. Yeah, and not only that, but Marcus Williams then does the bowling pin takeout. He takes out his whole Of guy. Crawley. Of Crawley. So that the one guy who might have been able to catch an off-balance, struggling to stay in bounds, right. Stephon Diggs. And he caught it at about the 30, right? 35. At right. the 35. Okay. So if he, gets, if he gets swept out from under himself, but maybe like his foot touches out of bounds, 52-yarder. And then Forbath has to try another 50-yarder. High drama. But for that to happen, take out your own guy. Whiff on him. Arrive half second too early. Digs to land inbounds. Not fall over. Have the wherewithal to turn around and sprint freely. Staying in bounds. And also that, you know... (laughs) Unbelievably, he held the football out at like the ten. I mean, would that have not been the the cruelest thing you've ever seen? If if that ball somehow comes out of his hands, don't plant in the clear. it. Don't showboat. <sighs> Throws the helmet. That penalty could have hurt, but there was no time left on the clock, so they have nothing to penalize. I think I think ten of the Vikings threw their helmets. It was, Keenum took his. Everyone went bananas. It was it was one of those moments that absolutely makes you it worth the time you invest in the NFL. Um, because it was, it was so unexpected. I, I mean, it's one thing to say that a comeback happens, and you you've seen big plays. That was the most unlikely game 
game-winning walk-off throw I've ever seen. It was a, it was an alley-oop pass. It was a, a, a complete desperation, and then it turns into that. It's like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of questions should be asked of that Dennis Allen defensive scheme on that. Because I, I don't even know what he was thinking. Had way too many people up in the flats guarding the flats. Clearly they thought they were going to try to hit a short 5- to 10-yard pass, get out of bounds, and try a 65-yard field goal because they had way too many Let men. Him. Way too many men defending the flats, and then only two safeties deep. I always say the safety. Yeah, you're only playing two deep safety there. You've got to have a center fielder. You've got to have just to defend against four deep. Did you did you miss when Raheem Moore was up too far on Jacoby Jones in that Ravens Denver game years ago in the divisional round? I always say though, like, what is the name of the the position? Safety. You are a safety valve. You are the last line of defense. You can't be so far up in a play like that with the end of the game on the line. With a chance to go to the conference championship, it's just there's uh, so much blame pie. You can't just put it all on Marcus. You know, it, but it is karma because the 09 NFC title game, by all rights, Vikings should have probably won that in New Orleans. And, oh, Car- and Favre throws it away. And so many weird things happened in that game. So it was, it was karmic payback on some level. Interesting social media point, Don. Uh, from the the fan perspective here, I think that's really when, you know, there's a big thing now. I'm sure you see them, but it's not necessarily your job to retweet them. Probably just shake an angry parental fist at them. You see all these video now where people film their friends at the end of games and they freak out. They're, and they're not in the moment. They're filming it so they can immediately put it up on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, whatever. And then you see these other foolish videos of people like grabbing their TVs yeah, off the that, wall, I saw that throwing one. them off the deck, throwing them off the roof, while smashing the, them. While the girlfriend slash wife yells, right. Brian, Brian. I, I, no, Kyle, no, no. <laughs> I, and, of course, I, I'm wondering all the time, like, do these people have old non-working flat screens shoved in their closet just for this, you know, stupid thing? This vi- <laughs> the viral moment? Or do they have Best Buy? Like, are they, all these TVs insured? But it's two stage. This they're all two stage. But this reminds me of back in '09 when Favre threw that pick. I think the first viral fan reaction video was when Vikings dad was watching the game in the basement with his daughter, oh. and Favre threw the pick, and he let loose like 15 f bombs in a row. And of course, it got like 10 million views. And all, I didn't even have a kid yet at the time. And I'll <laughs> seriously. And I was just thinking like. Forget about how disappointed he is. His daughter just had to watch her dad in this rage. And ever since then, that's the move. That's where everyone goes for the viral fan reaction video. I don't get it. I mean, it's not like Vikings fans. It's not like the Red Sox blew at the end of at the end of the uh, 07 Super Bowl, the the perfect season Super Bowl. Remember it. I put a I put a chair through a glass door. Wow. Where were you? College. Oh, well. no, no alcohol involved. Did your friends right. film it? No, they didn't film it. <laughs> that was way before the days of smartphones. Right. I mean, a flip phone at that point, I think. There was a little bit of that going on right there, but I remember Vikings Dad. I'm glad that they get their payback now. Yeah. Or at least I, like some it, sweet retribution. There, there was some sweet retribution going on there. Um, wow, what a game. It was, it, was, it was that, you know, that moment you just wait for, and then you – no one could believe what they saw for about – 90 seconds i kept waiting for a word of a flag or some sort of you stepped, know, out of bounds. stepped out of bounds or he overturned it and the, the reaction shots were priceless i know i still know a lot of people in the vikings organization and i could see a lot of them on the sidelines in some of those shots and and the faces were just absolutely priceless uh, but, um, i think uh, i think we can count on one thing if nothing else Sure, a defensive-oriented NFC championship, but a lot of babies named Stefan about nine and a half months from now. He, did he milk that moment? He did not, he did not uh, fail. Milk it? <laughs> Isn't he still standing in that end zone? He did not fail to uh, soak up that moment uh, from going prostate uh, on the ground in the corner of the end zone, just whipping his helmet. I mean— Wouldn't you? I guess I would, but, man, he, he did not miss. That's it. That's the end of the game. Yeah, Malcolm he, Butler still had, like, 20 seconds left on the clock. Right, right. That's why I think It was think still that, a good fight to come. Yeah, that, they, yeah right. They had some kneel downs and whatnot. I still think that is—I mean, the craziest ending of a game ever will always be— the band on the field in California in 82, I think. Tough to beat. However, 
I think that is the wildest single final play I've I, ever seen I agree. in an NFL game. I agree. And Malcolm I, Butler wasn't technically at the end of the game. And, and I got asked this the other day on a radio hit I did, like you know, and 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 they said what was what was the the most stunning, and I said you know I realize it wasn't a Super Bowl, and I realize it it wasn't even to go to the Super Bowl, but in terms of what your expectation was. And I'm old enough to actually remember the Hail Mary play, Staubach to Drew Pearson in the 75 Cowboys-Vikings playoff game. But for what you expected, to have that pass turn into that, to watch the Saints do the, you know, run into each other, the Stooges routine, that is just not, it was not on on the realm of possibility. You thought maybe a long completion and a field goal. Maybe. Right. That was the best. And that would have been amazing. And how about the other element of it? I was texting with a bunch of friends like we all do when we watch these games, and we had all the uh, the Vikings minus four people going. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> well, how about the Saints betters? It was five and a half. Better than five and a, just and kick if, the extra point. And if they did kick the extra point, which thankfully they didn't because right. it was a travesty to even drag them out there in a playoff setting, um, they lose. So the Saints betters <laughs> – the Saints betters actually that talk about your bad beats. That would have been the oh, there were millions of people still watching that, whether or not they were fans of either team, just going like, "Kick it, don't kick it, right? Stay in, come out, right?" It was crazy. Don't talk to me, all right? It's crazy. Well, and then earlier in the day, so you see Blake Bortles put up forty-five points in a road playoff setting, and it's not even the story of the day. It nope. is not, and I'm not making fun of Blake Bortles because, frankly, I thought he played his. Butt off against within, the Steelers. Within, he went 14 yes, for 26. But he answered every time they needed him to answer. Three, he needed to make three big passes in that game. He hit Keenan Cole long to put them after the Steelers had answered, so that was when they needed him. He had a big third down. He had to find TJ Yeldon in the flat on a screen, zipped it, nailed it. Touchdown to the fullback. And then the touchdown, that, that play action to Bo Hannon was a beautiful pass. And he didn't turn the ball over. Roethlisberger did. He had yep. the pick and the fumble, and they both turned into touchdowns. Well, let's be honest. I mean, Philadelphia may be playing in the NFC Championship, but the most Philadelphia thing I saw out there Sunday was the cream cheese defense that Mike Tomlin and company whipped up. It was amazing. It, you know, they were back on their heels before they knew what hit them. It was 21-0. And then they – you know what's buried in – Antonio Brown had one of the most amazing games of all time, and no one's going to ever remember it. And I think Roethlisberger actually hit – Four of the most ridiculous touchdown passes of his five. The fourth and 11 bomb with 10 seconds left in the half to Martavis Bryant. You can't throw a better it, pass. It was like you can't. Uh, you could underhand it and, and have it less accurate at, at that I, point. I, no, Watson couldn't design a pass. And then the fourth quarter touchdown to Antonio Brown, how he, how he held on to that. It was ridiculous how the Steelers kept coming, coming back with these bolts of lightning. But then every time the Jaguars said, oh. We need another touchdown? Okay. Yeah, when is Bortles going to fold? He did just enough. He did what he needed to do. Obviously, Fournette had himself a game. Looks like he's going to be healthy enough to play on he's Sunday. A, he's a beast. He's a tough guy. He's a real tough he guy. He doesn't go backwards too often. No, he waved on Mike Mitchell in that Week 5 game and took a wallop and still kept t- kept ripping. Uh, here's, to me, the 2017 Steelers season in microcosm. On 4th and 9 and 4th and eleven. They get two improbable long bomb touchdowns. On fourth and one. On fourth and one, they can't pull their head uh, out of their Permani Brothers sandwich. It, I don't know what was worse, the fourth and one calls or the onside kick, but it was oh, all. the onside kick's one of the. It I, was atrocious. Uh, unforgivable. You know, that story broke yesterday about how some of the uh, the brass, the senior leaders, the members, the, yeah. the Rooney. Minority owners. Okay, minority owners. Yes. Wanted to call for a meeting to discuss potentially removing Tomlin. Right. Listen, uh, uh who am I to say a coach should get fired or whatnot? But I don't disagree. It, look, that's bad coaching. It's not going to happen. Bad. But I, I seriously, I understand the sentiment from this from this perspective. I understand the game management in the two biggest games of the year. The Steelers peed down their legs against the Pats at home and against the Jags in the playoffs. Horrible, horrible game management. Like, like Andy Reid on his worst day. Game I thought management. it was. I thought it was very. Respectful of Mike Tomlin to pay due deference to Andy Reid. <laughs> it was a last. tribute. It was a real. It was a lovely tribute. And then the loose talk thing that got out of hand. But ho- sorry, started by your head coach. I can understand talking wh- to Tony Dungy weeks before about yeah. That's that is so 
against what the Steelers are known for. Like, prove it on the field is kind of their mantra. And they got caught up in this, we're going to, you know, we're going to embrace the elephant in the room. We're going to embrace the moment. Wrong tone. And I get it. I love coaches who, who speak honestly, so I'm not trying to knock him for that. But it was, it was the mistake that set off a lot of other mistakes. It gave liberty to Le'Veon Bell. It gave liberty to um, who, who was the other player that talked about it. Was it Mitchell? Anyway. More- Mike Mitchell? Yeah, but he, those quotes came week 15. Everyone thought they sort of were misplayed in the media. Everyone thought he made them after – uh, during the the bye week, but okay. the, he made them later on in the but season. It but it set a tone. Got a lot of play. It set a tone from the top. Well, and, they were and that obsessed was, with the Patriots. It was absolutely yeah. David DeCastro's comments were absolutely right. They're obsessed with the Patriots. It's embarrassing. Le'Veon Bell tweeting at one a.m. the night before. A. What, what are you doing up at yeah, one a.m. Exactly. Seriously, dude. Maybe he did a time <laughs> tweet. Time tweet. Brady has already tucked himself into his waterbed filled with avocado and his recovery magnet pajamas. Kerchief. Yeah, <laughs> he's in a curfew. Um, un- yeah, it, honestly, it, it, you know, I get it. Um, I I understand the frustration because between the play calling, the clock management, and the fact that you kind of just let guys, you know, talk and 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 get out there on that branch that you don't want to be on late in the season when a team's already beaten you thirty to nine on your own home field. I understand the frustration in Pittsburgh. I it's hard to defend. I don't believe. They'll do anything, but I would I would expect next year you're going to see Mike Tomlin, and there's going to be a lot of cracking the whip type of uh, storylines about how he realized that he kind of let the like the discipline slip a little bit. Uh, I, that's my thought. Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh sports talk radio this week. Brutal. You want to talk about just like you want to talk about just like an alley fight. Uh, don't be surprised next year. If he doesn't have his own sort of Ernie Adams type, somebody who right. can help him manage those critical situations, because by all accounts, the players love him. But who's that somebody helping him do that extra level of thinking that I hate to say it, he just seems incapable of because he's cheering on everyone's Facebook Live. And now Todd Haley may may be the scapegoat. I'm I'm not defending Todd Haley, but they their numbers have been pretty amazing the last six years with him as the OC. And they already ran off Bruce Arians and that didn't work out too well because Bruce Arians clearly wasn't done as an effective football coach. So let's let's see what happens in Pittsburgh. But it's a bit of a mess. It's a train wreck. For a team that went thirteen and three, it was pretty ugly at the end all the way around. And uh without really taking too much time to touch on the first game of the weekend, uh uh the twenty seventeen Falcons right there, the outcome of that game to me, you couldn't have had a more twenty seventeen Falcons outcome. Yeah. Offense just never found its stride. Nope. Sarkeesian certainly didn't call Red, a great goal line. Red sequence. zone woes all yeah. season. Yeah, I. You know, it's funny. I picked Philadelphia to win that game, and I said it was going to be ugly and low scoring, but I thought they'd get a serviceable game out of Nick Foles. That's exactly what they had. They did. I mean, yes, he should have had a pick, but it went off of uh, Neil's kneecap right. and bounced right to Torrey Smith. But again, that game was very dramatic. I mean, it's first and goal to nine. And it's four plays for the ball game, and then it's one play for the ball game. And Julio Jones, your best player, lets the ball go through his hands. So, mistimes his jump. He was right. coming down when that ball, when he should have been still climbing. I'm pretty sure the Sark will be looking for work next year. I don't know. It sounds like they're keeping him. Really? Yeah. No, it came Why? out yesterday. Why? Well, Quinn's got a presser today, uh, but it's, it's expected that Sarkeesian is going to stay, and I think they're changing the quarterback coach in Atlanta. They lost their quarterback coach. Somebody want to tell Arthur Blank to just stay in the owner's box? Speaking of uh, not staying, Mike Malarkey two days after the loss uh, to the Patriots. I'm not surprised at this because I really firmly believe he was gone. Um, he was clearly gone if they didn't make the playoffs, but then they did. I thought he was gone if they lost in the first round, but then they won. And the next thing you know, he's, you know, he's, they're talking about him about a contract extension, but it was one of those, it was one of those, you know what, we're, we're going to give you a, a low ball deal and we want you to change your coaching staff. And he said no. And he went out and talked at his wrap up presser about the need for continuity and status quo. And that did not play well. And they said, um, we're going to have a parting of the ways, and I think it's the right call. 100%. And a- as we sit here in Gillette Stadium with the rumors now that Matt Patricia won't be going to the Giants like we talked about was breaking last week, probably going back 
to where we thought he would be going to the Lions. There's the swirling rumor that Josh McDaniels is going to take the head coaching job with the Colts. That does two things for me. One tips tips me off that, uh, or tips us all off that Andrew Luck must be healthier than we think, or at least that he we saw last season. Because why would he go someplace with right. quarterback instability unless he's a huge believer in Jacoby Brissett? Uh, why not go to the Titans? You have a, a potential emerging wide receiver in Corey Davis. You've got a great tight end in Walker. They drafted his replacement, so you could have a dynamic two tight end set. You've got a burgeoning stud at running back. I mean, you've got all the weapons in place. Maybe he feels better about GM Bob Quinn than he does GM John Robinson, both Patriots uh, former personnel guys. I don't know. Um, I think it's curious because you're staying in that same division, and yet you're going to the last-place team instead of the second-place team. Maybe he feels much better about luck than he does Mariota. Mariota. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I'm a little surprised. He's if 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 indeed it happens, I'm a little surprised he's hitching his train to Jimmy Ursay, because the Colts owner is a little mercurial, I think is the word, and mm-hmm. uh, you never quite know what you're going to get. All right, we want to welcome now our guest on the Cover Two podcast, Tony Baselli, the former Jaguars offensive tackle uh, extraordinaire and the uh, color analyst. On the Jaguars Radio Network, Tony is a two-time guest now of the Cover 2 podcast, joining Matt Hasselbeck in that exclusive club. Welcome, Tony. Oh, it's great to be back. Uh, I owe that. I owe, owe my second appearance to the Jaguars uh, getting this far. I don't think anyone expected them. I was thinking, I look back at when we last talked. It was early November. Um, you had a pretty good sense of the team then, but if I would have asked you that day, what were the chances that we're talking championship week in the NFL, what would you have thought or said? You know, back then, I actually said it on our radio show, on the Jaguar Monday Night Show, that this team, if Blake Bortles is playing average to above-average football, that they're good enough running the ball and the defense, now I didn't show it last week, but it's really, really good, that there's not one team in the NFL this year that they cannot beat. Because I don't think there's a dominant team. I mean, obviously the Patriots are the – at the head of the class, and as long as they have Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, they're going to be. But I don't think it's the same Patriots team that we've seen in the in the past uh, as far as the dominance that they've shown. And so I thought this Jaguar team you know, could beat anyone and get as far as winning the whole dang thing. Now, I also said in the exact same breath, they're a football team that can lose to anyone in the, <laughs> in the NFL on any given Sunday. Right. So it's a, it's, a, it's a young team, good defense, and it's a quarterback that – is better than anyone gives him credit for, but uh, can have some inconsistent times as well. Tony, uh, you just mentioned a few moments ago during the intro that um, you're surprised that no one expected the Jaguars to make it here. But I'll tell you who's not surprised that the Jaguars are in the conference championship. Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been on the Jags for a couple of years. I, I, I've been calling them the Jag wagon for the past two seasons because once this defense started coming together, the acquisition of Malik Jackson, the emergence of Jalen Rose, and then... Fowler and Miles Jack. Excuse me. I'm no, sorry. Uh, Ramsey and the Jack. I, I, knew, mean, this, I knew what you meant. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but this defense has been coming together. It was only a matter of time. Talk about a storm coming together. But uh, the Patriots themselves also, I bet you this isn't just fluffing the press or the Patriot way, if you will. I think the Patriots knew there was a good chance they could see the Jaguars just from the joint practices this summer. They talked about how fast they were. They talked about the tenacity they played with. And then you add Tom Coughlin, a sort of arch nemesis to Patriot postseason success. I bet in no way, shape, or form are the Patriots surprised the Jags are in the conference championship. No, and I I, I tend to agree with you now. Bill Belichick and Tom Brady were going to say this about the Jaguars, even if they thought they were the worst team ever. That's just what they say about every team they play. Exactly. Um, but I actually do believe them. And because and the reason I believe them is because there's not a smarter person on this planet, football-wise, than Bill Belichick. And, and anyone who turns on the tape and watches this defense play understands immediately that they are a dangerous team, that they're really fast, that they can cover all over the field. Even the even the Pittsburgh Steelers it took four amazing throws and p- catches. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I mean, it was. I mean, now everyone goes. Well, they scored 42. It, it was the best defensive performance, giving up 42 points I've ever seen in my life. I agree with you, and so they under, and they understand that they turn people over and they score on defense. So uh, 
I think when Bill Belichick, Tom Brady say this will be our toughest match of the year, I think they really believe it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. All right, I don't want you to go too deep X's and O's, but give me what you think is the most crucial element for the blueprint of a Jacksonville upset in Gillette. Is it is it Fournette? Is it Blake taking care of the football? Is it the pass rush? What, what would it be, Tony? All right, I'm going to give you one on offense, one on defense. Offensively, they have to be aggressive from the start and call an aggressive uh, game plan, especially on first and second down. When Blake Bortles gets in a rhythm early and Nathaniel Hackett calls an aggressive football game, Blake plays his best, and they play their best as an offense. And we saw that in Pittsburgh, and you saw how it didn't work in Buffalo. I believe in Buffalo they felt like we're going to play really close to the vest, almost tight. Not, because to not lose. Yeah, not to lose because we don't think their defense can beat us. Um, I mean, their offense can beat our defense. And so open it up. Be aggressive. Take some shots. And then defensively, it's just as basic. If they can rush the passer inside out, you don't sack Brady with defensive ends. You sack him with uh, pressure from the interior offense, defense alignment against their offense line, and you don't even have to sack him. Get in his face, move him off his spot, make him uncomfortable. If they can do those two things, they have a great opportunity to win this football. You just described the New York Giants Super Bowl blueprint against the Patriots, pretty much, correct? Yeah, I mean that's that's how you beat them. I mean it's not it's not hard to articulate how to beat them. It's just hard to execute. <laughs> right. So dang good, <laughs> Tony. Uh, household name at this point now is obviously. Ramsey because uh, he's he's all pro. I think he's the best cornerback in football. He said what he said at the rally, and I think that has absolutely nothing to do with Sunday's game. Which name do you think people will know more on the Jags defense Sunday after the championship game against the Patriots? Is it Telvin Smith, who had a whale of a game against Pittsburgh, 16 tackles, 50-yard fumble recovery TD, or is it going to be somebody like Ngakwe, who – really seems to have come out of nowhere. I mean, he's displaced Fowler, basically, on the defense and is becoming an essential key for that D. Ngakwe is a better, is a better player right now in pass rusher than uh, Dante Fowler. I don't think it's going to be him because Tom steps up in the pocket so much. Now, it could be if they get so much pressure that Tom can't you know, climb the pocket and Ngakwe gets there. But I think it's the first guy you mentioned. The name that everyone will know after this game is Telvin Smith. He is the best young inside linebacker that nobody knows, and he gets no credit for it. He's only about 218 pounds, so he's almost like a strong safety there. But he plays really big at you know 6'3". He runs 4'4". He can cover. He can tackle. He's physical. Uh, he's a really good player, and I think people are going to see that after watching the game on Sunday. Happy to say, Tony, I voted for Telvin Smith, first-team All-Pro outside linebacker uh, for the Associated Press Awards. I don't know. Are you a voter for that, Tony? Sometimes uh, I know. I'm not. They have not allowed me to. I think they they don't trust me like they trust you, Don. But <laughs> I would have I would have voted the same way. I... Telvin Smith, if you watch the tape, is as good as any linebacker. Outside linebacker in the NFL. Now he doesn't get the sack numbers because they're not a three-four team, and that's the problem with some of the voting. Sometimes is everyone looks at just the numbers, sacks, and everything else. But if you watch the entire game and put all his numbers together, he's really good. Tony, you know, credit at this time of year, everyone's starting to say, "Oh, who gets the credit? Who gets the credit?" So this question, you you'll see it coming, but. I go back and forth in my head, Coughlin versus Marone. I know they both deserve a lot of credit. Who do you think was more vital to this team's the changing culture, the, the change in mentality, and the rapid ascension? I'm going to give you three names that deserve some uh, piece of the credit. Doug Marone, Tom Coughlin, and we all forget about Doug, uh, Dave Caldwell. Dave is, was the architect of the draft in making all the moves before Tom got to this year. You know, the Jalen Ramsey, the Ngakwe, the Fowler, uh, you know, the Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, I mean, those guys, Malik Jackson, those are all just Dave, even before Tom got here. Doug's done a great job. Outstanding coach. Uh, really, I uh, like how he's, uh, you know, instituted from the beginning of camp until now how he's managed the team. But the most important factor, the biggest factor, is Tom Coughlin. Uh, and it's not because of any one thing he did. It's because who he is. It's who he is in the NFL. It's who he is in that organization. He's been there since day one, and then he left. And when he left, he went and won two Super Bowls, and now he's back as that guy. The weight that he has and his presence and what it did immediately to the entire organization, it changed it. It changed the entire organization on the football side. Uh, to say the least, that things got a little bit puckered up for individuals around there in a good way, knowing that 
the boss was back. Uh, the fact that the details and the attention to those details and everything else around it just changed, uh, I think was good for the uh, organization. And uh, there's no doubt right now we have one owner, and that's Shad Khan. We have the president who's in charge of all business stuff. That's Mark Lamping. And then when anything has to do with football, there's only one person in charge. I, I, I'm Coughlin. I love the fact. Remember when he said, "I want to win lunch." Basically, we're gonna. Oh, yeah. We want to compete so much that I'm. Uh, who's going to get the better lunch? He's I thought a, that sent an incredibly <laughs> correct early message. That's who he is, Don. You've been around him. You know. I mean, he, that's just and his presence in Jacksonville is so big and. Uh, I mean, there were when he won those two Super Bowls with the Giants. There was a bunch of Giant fans in Jacksonville right. who loved the Jaguars, but they loved Tom. And what he means to the organization, you can't. I can't say enough. And so while Doug gets credit, should get credit. Dave should get credit. The biggest impact has been Tom Coughlin. So Tony, uh, I mean, the the turnaround is epic. They had three wins last year, and now they're in the AFC Championship game. It's the greatest uh, single season turnaround, or it's tied for the greatest single season turnaround to go from basically worst to first or to conference championship. Speaking of which, you have some Foxborough conference championship memories yourself. Uh, is there a particular memory or a great story you could share with us from the 96 AFC championship played in the old Foxborough Stadium, which was a, a dump, but you know what? We loved it because it was our dump. It was a dump. You're dang right. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was, number one, I don't have very many good memories at all because we lost. Yeah. Uh, you know, we had first and goal down 10-3 with about five minutes or four minutes left in the game, a chance to tie it up, and then uh, didn't get it done. But I think what I'll never forget about that game is in the second quarter, the power went out in that dump. The transformer blew, and it was pitch black for about 15 minutes when they tried to get power back Are up. Are you kidding? No. Not not just your communications, like the whole stadium? No, it was dark. They, can't, they stopped the game for 15 minutes. Wow. It was freezing. We were the late game. We were the second game. Yeah, it was so dark. cold. And it was pitch black. Nothing was working. And I remember sitting there for like 15, 20 minutes waiting for the power to come back on thinking, this is the NFL, and this is the AFC Championship, and this Kraft. dump has no power. Kraft didn't pay the bill? <laughs> you think Kraft didn't pay the bill? I don't know what happened. No, I'm, so I, I think of the Transformer blue because it was real cold and snowy. I don't know. Something. And uh, it was. Man, it was miserable. Well, this is before social media, but I can guarantee you right now the idea of hashtag PowerGate or ElectricityGate would have trended in about two minutes. And we were on a roll, and they stopped their momentum. Wow, true. I'm, I'm making that up. Yeah. I don't remember if we're on a roll or not, but it sounds good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, you guys had peaked the week before. Uh, was that Denver the week before? Yeah, Denver the week before. Yeah, yeah, and that was epic. Uh, obviously, that was a uh, that was a team that. Um, had Super Bowl talent, and that win um, really put you guys on the map. But, Tony, thanks so much for the time once again. Um, I, I, I don't want to ask for predictions, but I want to know, do you feel like it's going to be a four-quarter game uh, with a shot for Jacksonville in the fourth quarter? Um, yeah, I think, it's a, I, think, I think it's going to be a field goal. It's going to be a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter. Uh, and I think a turnover or a big play will make the d difference. And I, 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 I still think, and I, I felt this way last week, the Jaguars need to win the turnover margin to beat the Patriots, and they, their defense needs to give the, the offense one or two short fields. And if they can score, that's a bonus. They did both last week against Pittsburgh. Right. They scored and gave a short field. Uh, I think it's going to take that. This defense has led the way for the team all year. And they need to get. They need to turn the pats over a couple times uh, and create some op easy opportunities for the offense. You think Fournette's going to be okay? Yeah, Look, I think he'll be fine. Yeah. I think he'll be fine. It's yeah. the playoffs. You figure yeah. out how to get there. Absolutely, Tony Baselli. Thanks so much for joining us again on the Cover Two podcast with Banks and Stevens. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday. All right, guys. See you there. All thanks, the best. Tony. As happy to have had Tony on a second time as we were the first time. Great insight. You know who he's rooting for. You know he is. He may he may actually be the engineer on the Jag wagon Sunday. <laughs> well, he's Mr. Jaguar. He is. He is literally Mr. Jaguar. And think about that. The guy that we had as a guest on Cover 2 Podcast today was played in the last AFC title game between the Patriots and the Jags. So yeah. better who who better to be the voice of this week? Duval! It's going to be tight Sunday. Uh, I I think it's a tough one. Anytime I hear any Patriots fan saying, like, they got this, Brady uh -uh. don't know what to do. But this is the recipe, right? Is we all know the recipe. Power running. You rush four. You get 
Brady up the middle. We've seen the fact that Joe Tooney and David Andrews and even sometimes Shaq Mason have had some trouble with power rushes up the middle. Solder and, of course, Cam Fleming and Waddle, who are playing in place of Marcus Cannon at right tackle, have had a few issues with speed runners, rushers. You've got guys like you can rush Fowler from the outside. You've got Ngakwe, who's played great this year for the Jags. They present the formula, and if they rush and Brady beats their blitz, guess what? You can rely on Gibson and Church. I love their secondary. As, as safeties. Church and has p- played really well. Way better. It's not the Barry Church from Dallas. Ramsey is on his way to top corner in the top NFL. Top corner in the and NFL. And no slouch himself no, either. not at all. I think it's a really tough matchup. I do too. So I'm, I'm hoping we have another classic, maybe even two, conference title games because I, in my career I have been at so many conference title games when I look back that was just the right place at the right time. And I'm... I'm not even talking about the 98 Falcons-Vikings, which to me is the most epic game I've ever covered. But, I mean, I can look back. I was at that Packers-Seahawks overtime game. What was that, 13 maybe? Mm -hmm. Um, Just so many times I have seen the Pittsburgh Steelers get close to the Super Bowl and dismissed at at the last step. What was your favorite conference? You've seen some great conference football. That that 2014 Packers at Seahawks conference championship sticks in my mind not only because it was the game i watched before of course the infamous drubbing of the colts and now known as oh, that's the, right yeah the deflate gate game which makes it for infamous reasons uh the packers had that one there's another game somebody had one that the nate silvers brandon of the world Bostick. probably said was that brandon boss just just he lays down they could have done so the many different things kick. to figure that that one sticks in my mind obviously 2019 saints vikings 98 falcons vikes um i'm gonna say the catch in the nfc because I was a wee one, uh, that's one of those childhood memories. When I close my eyes and I think about my dad and his friends over the house, football on all the time, if I could see through all the cigarette smoke and all the adult nonsense in the house, I could, I remember just Dwight Clark just streaking out of nowhere, coming out of nowhere and catching the ball and that little gentle right-handed spike and just thinking, oh, my gosh. It was kind of that moment. I think that guy just won the game for the 49ers. And I was, you know, kind of loved the Cowboys like a lot of kids did. A little bit like that Stefan Diggs feeling, like I can't, I can't f- process what I just watched mm-hmm. because the ca- the throw looked like a throwaway. He looked right. like he was unloading it to. There the was third no row. one in your. Yeah. Know, obviously, we didn't have twenty eight cameras like we do now in the yep. coverage, but you saw Montana throw it, and you're like, "Who the hell is he throwing?" And Everson to? Walls was in coverage. I remember the famous Sports Illustrated uh, cover of that catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one. I obviously I wasn't covering the NFL in 1981. Mine is. A little bit strange in that 1994 was the year the San Diego Chargers went from 0-4 to the playoffs, and Bobby Ross was coaching them. They go into Pittsburgh. No one gave them a prayer of winning in Three Rivers. It was still Three Rivers. The Steelers, if you remember, had already held a team meeting to discuss Super Bowl logistics and talk about a potential video. Have they learned nothing? And the Chargers that day... uh, now I'm blanking. Uh, they had Junior that, Seau had a day. Junior Seau had a day. But Stan Humphreys was quarterback. Stan right? Humphreys, thank you. I kept thinking Mark Rip, Rippin because it's the same body type. But uh, uh, Stan Humphreys was their quarterback. But the thing I remember, the crowd was so into it. Neil O'Donnell was the Steelers quarterback, and he drove them down, to the, down the field in the final minutes, and they're like inside the 10, and a touchdown wins it for the Steelers. And on the last play, he throws a touch, he throws an end zone interception to Dennis Gibson, the Chargers linebacker. I have been in dozens and dozens of NFL stadiums. I've never heard one go completely silent. Back in that day, you had to leave the press box in Three Rivers and go through the crowd. And it was like walking through Night of the Living Dead. People were absolutely zombies, speechless, not believing that their team had just been dismissed one step shy, one play shy of the Super Bowl. That reminds me, I just said a second ago, like, has Pittsburgh never learned? We go from this, the nonsense with Le'Veon Bell tweeting and Mike Mitchell this week, reminds me also of 2001 when the Patriots, big underdogs, a 12.5 point underdogs, I believe, went in to Pittsburgh. Yes. That's where I, Brady got I, I hurt. I was at that game. Bled, man, you went to all the good I was at that one, and I was at the one in 04 as well. Right. But I told you my Cheryl Crow story at halftime singing uh, Soak Up the Sun. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was Cordell Stewart said they were already making Super Bowl plans. Yeah, they they never learned. Actually, the Steelers have had some some epic conference title game losses. Um, but 
Yeah, I'm. I'm. I am going to do a book someday about that '98 Falcons Vikings game in overtime. The uh, 16 and one Vikings team against the 15 and two Falcons team, and all the stuff that had to happen there. But that was uh, that was as a beat writer. But yeah, uh, on the NFL beat conference title games sometimes give us give us. You know, back when the Super Bowl was always a disappointment, the conference title games sometimes were as good as it got. And I got to be an honest fan here, not to trigger Pat's people that may be listening, but the 2006 AFC Championship where the Pats were up 21 to three and they yeah. lost in the RCA Dome and gave Peyton his first ticket to the Super Bowl, knowing Cupcake Grossman was waiting for them in Miami a week, two weeks later. Ugh. that was I was Ugh. at that game as well. It was at Ugh. the RCA Dome. Of course Dome, you were. And I actually t- uh, I called at halftime. My my uh my now wife twenty one six at the half, uh yeah but it was twenty one three it was an eighteen point, point deficit was. yeah and they snuck in a field goal right the end of that. right and that kind of gave the Pats a little or it gave yeah it gave the little Colts momentum. a little momentum but I remember calling home and uh and my now wife says oh this one's over and I said yeah yeah this one's over I'm I'm already writing it like another Patriots uh, Super Bowl trip is is on its way um, uh, but that was really yeah, that was one. Peyton Manning's finest moment i thought against oh, yeah. the pats because uh mm-hmm. that comeback you kept waiting for him to make the the crucial mistake and in, f- in fact it was mr brady throwing that pick to uh the, the colts defensive back i can see him mm. catching it and getting down how about immediately. yeah but how about Rache caldwell maybe dropping one in the end zone yeah. that might have hurt a little bit there was yeah. a flu the patriots had the flu the refs were helping out the colts please don't get me started okay. uh, i think it's about time we wrap up uh your picks yeah, I'm going to go Minnesota in a low-scoring uh, field goal game. I feel like they've got a little bit of uh, magic fairy dust sprinkled on them now, especially. And I'm going to go New England, although I think it's going to be I think it's going to be a, a, a day-long slog. I'm going to go Eagles, surprisingly, and Patriots. I think the Eagles win. Just I mean, you want to talk about just like a just a hammer fight. They're just it's just going to be back and forth. Well, all I could day. see that yeah. some and a super low scoring, and that's going to give us. And our, I don't even know why our fourth out of five year number one versus number one matchup in the Super Bowl. If it's Eagles Vikings, uh, a good comp for I'm, what I'm Patriots sorry, Eagles Pats. Yeah, a good comp for what I think Patriots Jags might be like Sunday 2007 AFC Championship. Chargers played the Patriots to a T. Ladanian Tomlinson with the visor on and the jacket on the sideline. Patriots won that one barely, 21 to 12. I got uh, 23-16, Patriots. All right, that is another episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. Thanks for listening once again. We will be back at you next week in the bye week before the Super Bowl. I want to say a quick tribute to Keith Jackson, who we lost at the age of 89, one of the legendary voices of my youth. Whoa, Nelly. Whoa, Nelly, indeed, all the way from Alabama. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown and a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.